The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. everybody welcome into the hoop ball celtics podcast i am your host patrick lounsbury today uh we have a special guest on us with us today but first we, we also got my co-host over here lucas gainer you can follow the show on twitter you can find us on apple Podcasts. you can also find us on spotify hoop ball celtics that's all one word you can also find me on twitter at ball and opinions that's b-a-l-l-i-n-o-p-i-n-i-o-n-s you can also find lucas at Luca underscore Gainer. That's L U C A underscore G A Y N O R. And yeah, we're very excited to uh, welcome our first guest ever on the Hoop Subjects podcast, Mr. Adam Taylor, man. Yeah, pleasure's all mine, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, we're, we're really excited uh, for this episode. He's our first guest onto the show, Adam. Um, you want to let people know who you are, what you represent, where they could find you? Yeah, so um, for anybody listening that doesn't know who I am, um, which is fair enough because most people don't have a clue, um, I write for Celticsblog.com. I host their podcast, and then I also do some freelance NBA work for multiple outlets. Big Celtics guy, big film guy, big Boston basketball guy, big guy in general because I'm severely overweight right now. Yeah, well, everybody make sure they check out Adam's stuff, man. He puts out great content, great pods, great articles. Um, he also hosts, you know, the room on Spotify, Green Room. He, you know, that's how I met Adam. He hosted some free-flowing conversation rooms. Always appreciated him for that, man. Uh, so make sure to check Yeah, and I also just want to give a big shout-out to Adam for being with us today. He's He's been moving and stuff like that. Busy guy. Taking some time out of his schedule to, to hang on to a podcast with me and Lucas, you know, some uh, – knuckleheads who cover the Celtics you know but uh yeah man we appreciate you on today today we're just going to be going over some things we're just going to recap some of the offseason kind of give an aspect of what we feel about the Celtics you know after the offseason moves and how what we expect from them going in kind of gives us also an idea possibly of um we might throw some guys out there we're really excited to see and then we're also going to go over some 2k ratings um in the new NBA 2k22 for some fun stuff to end the show um, depending on Adam's time and stuff as well, we, we can maybe get some people up for some speaker requests and stuff like that to ask some questions. We'll just see based off time-wise what we can do there. Um, but, yeah, let's just jump into it, man. Um, Adam, what was your first uh, opinions of, of the Celtics offseason? Yeah, I think um, I think the offseason has been fantastic, to be quite honest. I mean, if you look at what Brad Stevens had to work with when he moved into that front office role, that president of basketball operations, there was very limited trade assets in terms of what you could get good value in return for. He's managed to kind of play the margins quite well, brought in Richardson, who I think was a really smart pickup in terms of adding some length and experience to the rotation, solid defensive presence, can get hot in a minute, but obviously he's a bit inconsistent in his um, perimeter scoring Obviously, the pickup of Ennis Cantor makes a bunch of sense if you need to get, um, if you're getting killed on the boards or you need to be competitive down on the offensive boards, then you can always throw Ennis Cantor in there. I think that a lot of people kind of look at the negatives with Cantor, you know, that pick and roll defense, the lack of um, hip flexibility, lack of lateral quickness. But 
at the same time, this guy's a double-double machine. And if you need impact off the bench, maybe, you know, Rob Williams is having another injury stint out or Al Horford's going to be rested for load management. Cantor's a very viable third option there. Dennis Schroeder, I was completely out on that. Um, I ended up watching every possession of his from last season. I'm a little bit more high on him now, just as a six-man, but that all depends on how he kind of incorporates himself into a role and plays within the system rather than in a mercenary style. And then if you look at like some of the other moves that they made, bringing in Chris Dunn, flipping him on the way out, they've added Bruno Fernando. Um, I, I think that Brad Stevens has done a fantastic job. This team's got more length, more versatility, more experience. It's a deeper roster. Um, I don't see how anyone could view this as a bad off-season, to be honest. Yeah, man, I actually I, I agree with you on a lot of points there. I thought the Ennis Cantor signing was almost speaks volumes, especially come from Brad Stevens, who coached him. You know, now he's in the power of like signing people and, and getting people over to the team, and seeing that he brings back a guy like Ennis Cantor means that Brad Stevens saw the value in him and believes that he works with the team that they're building with at least in the short term right now and brings them some depth piece at a position that they kind of thinned out on pretty quickly this offseason with all the makeover. Um, I also am really excited about Dennis Schroeder. So long he does play that six-man role. But also, it with me, the six-man role doesn't matter as much with him. People are like, oh, he should start himself. It's like, I'm interested now in seeing what those closing lineups are going to be. How are we going to finish games? What does that lineup kind of look like? I know it's going to be really probably based off of the matchup, the scenario, the score. But I'm very intrigued on the fit for Dennis Schroeder. And I want to see him maybe buy into the team role a little bit more and, and not try to chase the money because I feel like if he buys into the team, it'll bold well for him and he'll get the money from that. Um, but what about you, Lucas? What do you think about that offseason? Oh, no, I echo a lot of the sentiment that Adam brought forward. Um, you know, I think a lot of Celtics fans reacted negatively to the Cantor signing um, when in reality it was a perfect depth move. It helps us get some instant offense off the bench uh, with his post-ups and his offensive rebounding. So I love that. Um, extending smart. And Rob were big wins for me, kind of locking in this core. And then, you know, I, I'm kind of with Adam. You know, I really am hoping that Schroeder buys into the team concept. Um, but at his cost, I think that was a no-brainer move. And the ceiling for that move could really raise the Celtics to be a, a much better team than previously. So, you know, I loved the offseason. You know, we hired the coach I wanted. Brad really stepped up into president of the basketball operations. Um, so, you know, I was I'm really happy with this offseason. And I think I agree with a lot of the things Adam had to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think what... Oh, sorry. Ahead, Adam, no, go ahead. I think one of the most underrated aspects of the offseason, considering it was the first move and it seems like it was forever ago, was the way he managed, the way Brad Stevens managed to move on from Kemba Walker. You get Al Horford back, you get some cap flexibility. Horford's only partially guaranteed next year. Plus, you bring him back someone that can give you a legitimate five-hour offense. I think Walker was... Um, He's, he needed a, a fresh start himself. Maybe I, I'm not sure how it's going to go for him in New York, but from Boston's point of view, they managed to get a year off of um, his contract in terms of how long they're committed to Horford for versus how long they would have been committed to Walker. And that really set a precedent for the moves that Stevens has made. It, a lot of them have been under the radar, not really any um, conjecture about any trades that were forthcoming before, before it happened, which is always fun, especially when you're so used to we were in talks, and but we couldn't make a deal. Now it's, hey, here's a bunch of deals that you weren't expecting to see. I, I don't see, when you look at like um, 
I think obviously the point guard positions took a downgrade in terms of talent from Kemba to Schroeder. But at the end of the day, the best ability is availability and Schroeder is going to be more available, more consistently than what Kemba Walker would have been this year. Yeah. And while I totally agree with the downgrade, offensively, I do think Schroeder is just going to be more of a menace on the defensive end with his length and his size uh, more than Kemba was able to. So I know opposing guards are going to hate coming to Boston um, because, you know, they're going to have to face the likes of Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, and Schroeder. So I really like... uh, how our defensive uh, backcourt will be looking. And yes, I do consider Adam a very special guy. Yeah, um, but also another thing uh, that me and Lucas actually hit on in some previous episodes as well is that we felt Brad Stevens this offseason hit a lot of singles. He may not have blown you away with some of these trades and stuff like that. Like It it may not have been like, oh yeah, Kemba for Horford. It wasn't like a boom-type trade, like altering everything. It's just a lot of singles, singles, singles. He set uh, the team up for some financial flexibility. He's also just doing a good job at adding different type of pieces, building a different culture. He's getting rid of, like, all these small guards on the roster that he's been kind of held. You know, Danny Ainge kept giving him small guards throughout his whole tenure as a coach there in Boston. And it's nice to see that the rosters build up with some more length. Like, that's what he's always wanted. He wants flexibility at each position, be able to have that switchability on defense. And um, I'm, I'm just really happy to see Brad Stevens step in that role and not feel like the pressure that he needs to go out there and hit a home run. He's like, I'm just going to play the short game right now, and then we'll, we'll address the long game, but we don't have to, like, do that in one season. So I thought he did a good job of uh, spacing it out and really coming together with these singles. And, and singles still scores runs, man. That's what I say. Singles still scores runs. And to me, Brad Stevens has scored some runs this offseason. Yeah, and that's exactly what he's always preached, right? Even as a coach, just hit singles, hit singles, and you'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the game. So, like, for him to practice what he preaches once he moves up into a role where he can in a decision-making role, but that's super encouraging, too, because you can see that everything he was saying and preaching to his players were part of his genuine core basketball beliefs. Another part for me is, like, I've, I've I've hammered this now quite a lot this off season. Stevens throughout the last last season consistently bemoaned how the Celtics lacked lacked length. He used to always say, "We're small. We don't have the size and length of other teams, so we have to be scrappy. We have to be more um more versatile in how we attack games in terms of hustle and in terms of um like IQ and how switched on you they are." He's gone and made moves to to add that length and um, size. But what he's done is he's done it in a way that he's also added defensive and offensive versatility. So when you look at the team from last year to the team of this year, the average height's going to be bigger, average wingspan's going to be longer. But every one of these guys are multi-skilled positional players. None of them really scream star. None of them scream potential star. But having a guy like Schroeder that can do one or two things exceptionally well, same with Richardson, same with Cantor, same with Hawford, even Bruno Fernando just looks like a really high energy guy off the bench. It just it screams Brad Stevens um, from what he was talking about the Celtics lacking last year. And having a guy that coached the team last year and saw their flaws firsthand move into a position where he can start to plug those holes. That was a that was a masterstroke by the ownership team in itself. No, a hundred percent. And uh that kind of goes into uh, another thing I wanted to address is uh the Celtics defense was it was a weird season last year where we saw probably one of the worst defenses coached under Brad Stevens um, league rank wise and seeing a lot of the additions that they made and, and switch in and outs of players that gone through this offseason 
Um, my expectations for the Celtics as far as the defensive side is is around top 10, top 12-ish with Ime as well with his type of mindset of how he likes to coach personally. But um, I just want to know, is, like, is that somewhere that I'm, I'm kind of just being overly too much expectations for the first year in Ime's system, like expecting a top 12 defense? Or is, is that kind of around the ballpark that you guys are thinking too? Yeah, I've got them around the top 12, between top 12 to top 8 defence. I think a lot of it will come down to what type of system it may introduces and implements. Like, are they going to stay as a switch-everything team? Are they going to be more judicial in their switches and run a bit more drop? Obviously, Al Horford doesn't have the foot speed that he used to, so asking him to operate in like a shuttle role where it's kind of like that free safety drop role where you can go between uh, the high and low helplines, but you're not committed to just lateral movement, uh, vertical movements you can move laterally too. A lot will depend on how Ime introduces that system. Is he going to ask Wings to pinch more than what Brad Stevens did? Is he going to ask for extra help? Or, you know, one of the Celtics' biggest issues last year was um, early helping off the weak side corner. It, was just, it wasn't just it was over-helping. The help just came too early, and it was really easy to manipulate that, extra, that um, poorly timed help defense. Um, Grant Williams got caught out with that a bunch last year. So a lot of it to me is just going to be what system Ime implements and how he holds players accountable for their mistakes. If he holds guys highly accountable, adds in a little bit more of a zone defense in terms of like, um, you know, asking players to pinch more when they're in zone, asking guys to run a little bit less ice because it was easily manipulated last year. Maybe they can start pushing that eight to six range. But if they're just going to be switching everything again, I feel like they're still a better team defensively. But teams have got used to how Boston switched. They've got used to the way that they run their rotations and they're switching out. Are they going to be scramming people off the post again like they used to because they stopped doing that? Um, uh, Veers as well, they were veer, veer backing a lot last season. I'm not a huge fan of that because if you're late, it's completely screwed. So it, again, I'm just kind of going over all the options that May's got. But um, I do think a lot of it will come down to accountability and system preference. Yeah, so I agree there with Adam. Uh, first of all, Adam, I just got to say, it's great to hear you talk basketball again, man. Um, but I do think the uh, the Celtics have, you know, a 10 to 6 maybe ceiling. I don't see them having potentially the top five ceiling, um, given that, you know, Horford's a little older and Rob Will maybe is a spot minute guy. He's not really a guy I can expect to play 40 minutes a game protecting the rim. Um, but, you know, I do think we've greatly improved. Like Adam said, we got longer. Um, we got bigger. Um, but I really do think it just depends on what scheme Eme decides to put in. Um, and Adam covered a lot of that stuff, which is, you know, I just really can't wait for basketball, man. I can't wait to see what the Celtics look like on the floor uh, with Emaz. Yeah, and with the uh, training camp coming up here, and uh, I think we're about 12 days away. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's, I believe it's 12 days from today, but it might, you're, it might be a day ahead of us now, Taylor, where you're at. But um, I just wanted to, you know, talk about some guys that maybe we're a little excited about or interested on seeing comes out of training camp. You know, I, I have names out there like Romeo Langford. What what type of role do you think he's going to itch out, you know, after he's been injured and stuff like that? Uh, Grant Williams is a big question mark for me. I don't understand where he's going to fit in the scheme of all things as far as rotations go. I think he's going to have to earn a lot from Ime. And he's going to have to show some type, some type of consistency, some type of ability to stay in front of guys, which I, we didn't see a lot of last year. So um, what are some – things that you guys are really looking forward to as far as training camp comes. Sorry, Lucas, I was waiting for you, bro. Um, 
I think training camp starts next week, right? It's the 28th that it starts, so that'll be in the next few days. Um, for me, like, it's, it's the narrative-based stuff that comes out. Like, we're not going to know who's going to be starting. Anything that happens in the preseason games is going to be very much an experimental kind of viewership for us and for what Ime is trying to just see what works, what doesn't work, who plays well together, etc. So, for me, it's going to be more along the lines of how Ime conducts himself in his press conference. It's going to be how um, what we hear about the new coaching staff. I'm very intrigued by this new coaching staff. I think it's a, a huge upgrade over what they had last year and over the previous few years. So I'm interested there. And then from uh, one topic that I've kind of been nailing hard in um, in podcasts and in article forms is just the roster battles, the training camp battles. I always love that narrative. Who got what guys are going up against each other for minutes? I think that's going to be super interesting. I'm hoping we get some nice sound bites out of that on media day and throughout the week. That seems to be pretty much it, training camp wise, for me. Um, obviously, during the first few um, preseason games, that's where we're really going to start seeing what Imaido because implementing and how that team lines up differently to the to the Brad Stevens Celtics. And one thing I really hope is he implements some counters. Uh, the Celtics seem to go route one every time last season with that high ball pick, high screen, sorry, high pick and roll above the perimeter. And they didn't really have a counter when defenses shut that down. So I'd like to see it may implement more motion offense on the wings and then some secondary counters for when teams react. And hopefully we can see that early in preseason. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, a spotlight's going to be on Ime uh, throughout this process. We're going to kind of get an idea of, of what type of system we're rolling with. I, I did feel like they did go to that that one a lot in the regular season. It seemed like they were they're really stagnant on offense this year. It's no wonder that we ranked in the bottom half in assist in the league is because the ball movement wasn't there. I know he may have joked about it at the presser with uh, Brad Stevens when they first you know thing. So I'm really going to be looking to see how they preach moving the ball without passing too much without being you know overly jealous about passing the ball and I think that Ime is going to be under a little spotlight and then also I would just want to know what's going on with uh as far as Grant Williams goes is as what how he's going to be used I want to see how he looks in the system is Ime going to think like hey maybe he's better as a five majority of the time and does he get kind of stuck behind all those bigs and doesn't really get any playing time or does Ime let him kind of get some more run at the four and try to see if they can't develop them even more at that position. That's something I'm looking forward to seeing in camp is, is just kind of how he's handled. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to see how Neesmith plays, honestly, um, because, you know, I wasn't a crazy fan of Neesmith last year, Patrick. I'm sure you remember all too well. You kind of had to convince me to give Neesmith a little more time, which, you know, is only fair. He was a rookie with no, um, with no off season. So, you know, it was a little unfair of me to rush. And I think he's looked uh, terrific at the end of the season. He looked great in Summer League. Uh, so I really want to see if Neesmith is going to make that leap to be a, a very uh, contributing role player for our team. And also uh, another thing I'm looking forward to, Adam mentioned earlier, is accountability. Um, you know, I really want Ime to hold players accountable, whether it be taking bad shots, overpassing, uh, not rotating on defense. So really looking forward to see, uh, you know, how Ime operates as a head coach uh, and, you know, level of accountability he makes the players uh yeah no absolutely um that's that's something that we're definitely gonna keep our eyes on and we'll definitely uh be reporting all about it you can probably find out on uh, adam's stuff as well he's gonna be on it 
looking at email a lot. We're going to be on email a lot. We're going to be looking at everything else. Um, but moving on to the next thing we wanted to talk about here was, you know, overall what, what we thought about the summer league and things that we may have saw on that. I, I personally thought Peyton Pritchard proved that he is more than ready to take on a bigger ball handling role this year. I think he also has the ability to probably lead the Celtics in three-point percentage again, man. Does, the way he's able to step into that three-pointer from so deep so confidently is something I've I've just enjoyed watching as far as it, it kind of started really picking up in the second half of last year, and then we saw a lot of it in the preseason. Um, what have the, your thoughts been, Adam, as far as uh, Peyton Pritchard adding – you know, that deep ball, more consistency, showing a lot more confidence in shooting it, and overall the Celtics in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, Pritchard showed that he's got, like, ridiculous range. He's got Steph range, just not, obviously, the uh, shot-making ability or the shot creation of of Steph. But I think, for me, like, defenses are going to know what Pritchard's about now, so he's not going to get as much breathing space as what he was afforded last year. They're going to push upon him a little bit more. They're going to try and run him off that line a little bit more. So adding a pull-up off the dribble is going to be important. We started to see him utilize like um, that quick stop and he was utilizing drag backs a little bit. But I think if he really wants to be able to create his own shot off the dribble, instead of just pulling up, I'd like to see him add a reliable step back or sidestep to his arsenal. If he can do that and get a bit more space creation just so he can get his shot off in time, then he, he's definitely got a chance of being up there in terms of three-point percentage this year. I also think that if he can do that, the score, uh, the scoring gravity that he currently possesses will increase, which will in turn allow him to start making some passing reads as well as defenses kind of push upon him. The spacing he's going to add is invaluable. So I, I'm all in. I'm all in on Pritchard at the moment. I don't think he's at a level where we could consider him a starting option, but I do think that coming off the bench, the off-ball movement that he can provide, the space and he'll provide as a scoring threat, and then the penetration that he gives when he's got the ball in his hands, that that's all going to play in his favor when in uh, in as he kind of battles it out from consistent minutes on this rotation. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, seeing Pritchard dominate the way he did in summer league, you know, it was very very reassuring that he really is going to be able to carve out a rotation spot. You know, maybe seventh man. Um, like Adam said, you know, his off ball movement is really going to free up a lot when he comes. Uh, to scoring without, you know, our entire starting lineup on the floor. Um, another thing I'd like to see in uh, in Summer League this year that, you know, is not going to have any impact on the season um, was Yam Madar and Yuhan Begarin. Um, they both looked, like, terrific, honestly, for what where they are as prospects. Um, Yam just needs to put on size. I love to see that he signed with Besiktas, uh, a bigger club. Uh, plays in the EuroLeague, so he'll be playing against better competition. Um, and Yuan, uh, he uh, just looked like a defensive menace cut from the Marcus Smart mold. And you know me, I love that. Uh, so it was really good to see those guys who are maybe, you know, stashes uh, to help impact the Celtics' future. Yeah, and then uh, another guy that I wanted to, to note on it in the Summer League was Aaron Neesmith. I thought uh, he had some really good moments in the Summer League where – he was had some shots off dribble. He had some stuff in the mid-range, so he was baiting away from a defender, hitting shots down. He looked a lot more confident, a little bit more you know, comfortable as far as his movements and running an offense. Last year, I thought there was times on the court where he kind of looked lost and he didn't know where he was supposed to be. He had teammates pointing in directions and trying to direct him. And I think 
that was really hard for him, especially being without that, you know, off season last year because of COVID. He also didn't have a lot of time in college, a lot less experience in college than Peyton Pritchard did, who was a four-year guy. But then uh, I, I saw a lot of good things um, starting to happen that I didn't see last year with Aaron e. Smith until like closer to the end of the year. And now you have these rumblings of some people thinking that maybe he should be the two starting, you know, in the starting five. And, and it's going to be very interesting because if his shot is coming along and he can start hitting that at a consistent rate, you have a strong case to put him out there because if you want to run Marcus Smart at the point guard, having a guy that can shoot three-pointers at a high percentage is going to benefit the Jays a lot more than having a Jason Richardson out there who's, who can't shoot the wall semi-okay, but like it's still like if you can get a guy out there who can shoot 30, 35%, 36-plus, that's that's kind of where you, you would want it. Yeah, Richardson is a serviceable shooter, but Neesmith has the potential just to have absolute knockdown clip. I mean, we saw it in college. We saw it in summer league. We saw it for moments last season, but I think he's just becoming more confident with his mechanics, you know, not hesitating during the game when his shots, uh, especially not during summer league. He was hitting shots I, I imagine he'll never dream of taking in an NBA game. Um, but, you know, the spot-up shot looked amazing. Um, but I do have to ask Adam. Uh, where are you right now on your guy, Romeo Langford? Because I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, where where do you stand right now when it comes to evaluating Romeo and his role? Oh, man, I'm working on a piece about that right now, actually. It'll be, uh, I'll finish it up tomorrow. I'll be out over the weekend, I'm guessing. Um, man, I'm sad because it, it, if we're being honest with ourselves, removing all bias and favoritism, which you kind of have to do at this point, he's the, he's the young guy on the outside looking in, right? Like he hasn't shown enough. Excuse me. He hasn't shown enough in summer league to really command a consistent minutes or consistent role. Neesmith has shown more impact on the ball and off the ball than what Romeo does. Uh, and I'll, there's a podcast coming out tomorrow um, for Celtics blog where I was saying the biggest issue with Romeo is everything we've seen from him has been on the defensive end. And as a slasher, what you'd hope for is he could impact the game with off ball cuts. Because cutting is a skill that is very underrated in the NBA. Um, but to be a impactful cutter, you need to have some sense of gravity as you're cutting towards the rim where defenses have to respect the fact that you are that you could uh, potentially be a play finisher in that instance. And Romeo just doesn't have that cachet at the moment just because he hasn't been consistent in any form of scoring across any of the three levels. So if we're being quite honest, I do believe you need to keep the tires on him once more. Now he's had a full off season to develop. But at the moment, I have him last in the depth chart for um, guards and wings. That, that's, a fair, that's a fair take, man. Um, I, I mean, that kind of almost leans into you having him last on the depth chart. He's also last in the 2K ratings on the Celtics team, leading into our, our next segment here. Did you have anything else to touch on, Lucas, before we jump into our next segment? Um, I was just going to say, you know, I know this doesn't make for, you know, super interesting, but once again, I agree with a lot of the things Adam just said. Uh, I wanted to see Romeo be more aggressive, more assertive. Um, you know, I wanted to see him dominate the ball uh, in summer league, and unfortunately that's not something we had to do. Uh, where we got to see. So, you know, I'm with Adam. You know, we'll give him another year with this full off season. Um, and at the very least, we know he's a capable defender. Uh, but, yeah, i just like to see some more consistency on offense. But now for the fun part of the show, we're going to go through the NBA 2K22 ratings um, of Celtics players. Uh, and I guess 
Should we start from the bottom, Patrick, or should we start from the top? Yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll probably start from the bottom up, and just so you know, adds a little bit more suspension and stuff like that. Knock out some of the guys that may not be as as crazy. But uh, to go into this, I'm looking at the list right now and uh, seeing that uh, there's only one guy that's uh, under the rating of 70. That's pretty it's pretty bullish of of 2K. You know, giving a lot of credit to uh, some of the guys on this roster going into the season. Yeah, so starting off the list with a 69 overall is Romeo Langford. Uh, I hate to see him below Carson. You know, I don't even think I would agree with that. Uh, but, you know, Romeo comes in with an overall of 69. You know, I really can't argue that from 2K, though, because like we just talked about, he hasn't shown any consistency on the offensive end. So uh, I don't really have any qualms with it, but it's a little sad to see him uh, rated low. I mean, that's probably the amount of days he's been healthy in the Celtics <laughs> unit. Yeah. About, <laughs> yeah about, oh, yeah, man. That's, that, poor Romeo, man. You know, I think Romeo with, with Romeo's situation, is just, it's just been unfortunate with injuries, man. And this is a business at the end of the day. And like, like Adam spoke earlier, you know, availability is, is the best ability to have. And Romeo hasn't had it to this point. And to be frank, frank, honest with you, like I, I can understand the rating of him being 69 at, at the bottom. It's he's an approve it year. This year for me, I've been a big Romeo fan, and I thought you know with a healthy offseason he can come in and do something. Um, I wasn't really happy with his preseason performance. To be honest with you, uh, I thought there a lot of times he was out there. He looked disinterested. He didn't look like he had a lot of energy. With a guy who has so much on the line this season that I feel like has a lot on the line. I didn't see the urgency come out of him personally, which made me more frustrated with him. So at this point with him, this season is like, it's a prove it or we're moving on from you year. And that's where I'm at with it. My mindset. Wise. Yeah. Got to see some sense of urgency, man, for sure. Um, so I think we can move on to the next, next up, uh, next person. On the Number list. 14. Yes. Is uh, the, Yeah. 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 Mr. Uh, King Grant Williams over here, you know, at 70 overall, one over Romeo Langford, another guy I've been kind of like, you know what, Grant Williams is, he's shown the flashes when he plays the five. I like what he does as a as a big man at the, at the five position. But whenever he gets into the four, I just, I start shaking my head watching film on him. It's I watch tough. how they just abuse him. They, 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 all the fours just abuse him. Like guys like Jeremy, he's got to go against, how is he going to guard a guy like Jeremy Grant? How is he going to guard a guy like KD? I understand KD is a guy that's hard to guard whoever you are. But it's just like you oh, gotta like make guys like that work more. You still gotta like make them work more. And he hasn't been able to make anybody work hard for getting any type of look or getting it in position to break down defense and, and get a good pass off. Yeah, I, I think for me, like when I look at players like Grant, there's multiple ways you can impact the defensive possession, right? Like if you're not a fast guy, if your lateral quickness isn't great, if your foot speed or hit dexterity isn't fantastic then you need to get good at defending positionally, understanding where a player's driving lanes are and cutting those lanes off before the player gets there. Use your positional IQ to impact defensive possessions positively. And Grant didn't do that. He very much tried to operate as an on-ball guy. As I said earlier as well, he was very early with his help defense off the corners, which made life real tough when it comes to scrambling back out to contest shots as a flyby. So that 70 rating feels fair. I mean, that's probably how many times a game he got beat off the dribble. <laughs> so that makes sense. 
But is like, this gonna um, be a theme from you, Adam? Where are you gonna I try like to it. relate this? Because I want this to go all the way through. Please. <laughs> Yeah, I can try. I can try. I mean, at the end of the day, man, like I say, if you want to see a good version of Grant Williams, in my opinion, he needs to get better at his, uh, his anticipation defense, that positional defense, and cutting off opportunities before they arise. If he can do that um, as more of an off-ball defender, and I think that's why he thrives at the small ball five, because he's predominantly having to do that, anticipate which angles players are going to drive at and remove those angles before they actually become a threat. Um, so if he can do that, then I think he can have a sustainable season. If he doesn't do that and he's asked to be more on the perimeter, he's going to get played off the floor quite consistently. Yeah, yeah I totally think, uh, you know, a guy who kind of doesn't have the hip dexterity and the, and the lateral quickness but was a great positional defender for us was Kelly Olenek, man. Like, he uh, basically was always in the right position, you know, cutting off the angles and everything. Um, even though he, you know, didn't have the athleticism to be an on-ball guy, he really worked to be the team defender, like Adam's saying. So, no, no qualms with me from that 70. Honestly, I'm sure some Celtics fans have some qualms that this man even reached 70 uh, and is not a little bit lower. But uh, I am not one of those fans. I think 70 fits perfectly. I think we can go through. I mean, Bruno Fernando is a 71. Um, you know, I can't say I've watched, like, hours of Bruno Fernando tape, but I think 71 feels right to me. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys. I probably, I'm sure you guys won't have any qualms. Now, Bruno Fernando at, at 71 seems seems fair. He seems like a, a back of the bench guy, you know, and it's not much to kind of dive into as far as his type of production, what I'm expecting from him this year. I don't expect him to, to really get much run outside of maybe 12 minutes max in, in a game this season. I've got one. I've got one. Injuries and stuff. I've got one. It's uh, 71 times the amount of times he's been traded already. Uh, I feel like that's uh, – I feel like that's – trying to channel my inner Adam right there. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair one, to be honest. I was going to go with it's the amount of players he's going to beat from the top of the perimeter to a random dunk, but I like yours more. Um, I do think he's a high-energy guy. I think he's more versatile than what people are giving him credit for in terms of, you know, we saw him operate as a role man, but end up getting the ball at the perimeter and literally just driving the lane straight to the hoop. He's quite powerful, quite explosive. Obviously, he's still very raw, doesn't really have any form of perimeter game in terms of offensive output. So he, teams are just going to sag off him and guard the rim, which is fine if he can just get a modicum of a mid-range game going and maybe he becomes a viable option. But I'm, I don't have huge expectations there. It's just, it's just a good fourth-string rotational big. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I do like – I mean, I like what I saw from him in Summer League, but right, as the fourth big, the energy guy. Fully agree. Um, so the next guy actually is uh, Aaron Neesmith. Is it not, Patrick? I believe so. At a 72 overall, man. That seems a little bit low. Um, and I think Aaron Neesmith is one of these guys where you'll see their rating jump up a few months into the season. Um, you know, I can't fault Ronnie, 2K, and the Cole crew for putting him at 72 from what he showed last year. Uh, but I do think people uh, will, you know, put a little bit more respect on his name after the first couple months of the season. I think he's going to show he's a more impactful player than just the 72 overall. 72. What would 72 represent for Aaron Neesmith? The amount of shots per game he's going to take. <laughs> the amount of time. The, amount of, the minimum amount of three-pointers we expect him to shoot this season. I expect yeah. him to shoot 72 more, threes by December. 
<laughs> More so, importantly, that's going to be his three-point percentage at the end of the season. Yes, there that we go. That's what we're that, looking shot, for. So we, what we call him the Chris uh, Middleton counter reincarnation here, or what? Like, what, 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 what oh, that? my goodness. That'd be insane. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we go on to seriousness for a moment, like, um, look, I've said this multiple times on multiple platforms. Aaron Neesmith was drafted as a, as a three-point specialist and ended the season as a legitimate two-way um, project. He strikes me very much like if he improves on two or three aspects of his game this season, then he's going to be following that Jalen Brown type of development line. Um, And that's super encouraging. I don't think he'll ever reach Jalen Brown's level. Um, I just don't think he has the same level of athleticism as Brown. But there's definitely a world where Aaron Lee Smith can... I'm already on this hype train where I want him starting for the spacing. But there's definitely a world where he can submit a starting role by the end of the year if he performs. Team star totally. Aaron Smith, man, I'm on that. I'm on that. I'm on that bandwagon too. What about yeah, you? That makes let's, team, team, yeah. Woo, let's go, team. Uh, let's uh, let's hit up uh, Brad Stevens right now. Let him know what's up. Let's pull some strings together. <laughs> yeah, here. No, yeah, I'm sure he's already <laughs> listening. You know. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but uh, yeah. So Neesmith, I'm sure we all agree. You know his uh, his rating will probably jump up. You know, a few months into the season. I think we can fly through the next couple guys. We got Jabari at a 73. Um, I'm sure his perimeter defense is a D minus or an F. No offense, Jabari. Um, but, you know, I'm sure his finishing around the rim is pretty high. It's probably his highest stat, but 73 feels right for Jabari in 2021. Seven, 73 times he's got to visit the doctor to massage his knees this season? <laughs> no, no it's, it's 73 times he told Ime Udoka he doesn't like playing defense. I think that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Adam, I'm sure you have no qualms with 73 for Jabari. I think that Neesmith should probably be higher than Jabari, if I'm being quite fair. Yeah. But um, 73, you know, the amount of injuries he's had since coming into the league, that's, I can deal with that. All right. Next up on the list is a newcomer who I don't think we've touched on yet, um, who I do love, you know, what he could bring. You know, it's not going to be a super needle mover, but it's a Wancho. Hernan Gomez, uh, you know, stretch, stretch four, stretch five, or five in today's league. Uh, you know, Wancho, uh, you can shoot the three as a big man. He comes in at a 75 overall. You know, that feels, that feels pretty accurate to me. He's not, not quite amazing, but he's definitely not terrible. Uh, I think 75 is a, is a good thing. And I also like what Wancho can bring in real life to the Celtics, uh, in spot minutes, you know, if he can really knock down the three ball, you know, to quote Anthony Edwards, uh, he can shoot the piss off the ball. Um, so that's an encouraging sign to hear. Um, so uh, hopefully we get to see him uh, knock down threes. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on this train here uh, with Aaron Neesmith. Uh, I, I think Aaron Neesmith is better than him. I think Aaron Neesmith. If anything, Aaron Neesmith should be the 75, and you drop him down to like the 73, and Parker down to like the 72. You know, I feel like they got those three kind of murky there in a, in a sense, but. Uh, I do like what he's going to be able to bring. I think he, he can kind of play like a poor man's Kelly Olenek type role for this team or something. Um, if he gets the opportunity, I just, I think he's kind of too far in the depth chart unless like an injury comes or like there's management with Al Horford or Robert Williams misses a game or something like that. But um, yeah, overall not, not too uh, bad at, at the fact that he's 75 overall. Yeah. I think he's going to get opportunities just because he's playing at the weakest position on the roster. I mean, once you go past Jason Tatum, the talent drop-off at the four is considerably noticeable. 
Uh, I haven't seen him play enough for me to have a genuine opinion on what he's going to bring or how he's going to impact the rotations. So I'm not going to pretend that I do because I just haven't got around to watching the tape on him yet. Um, just because the trade happened at the start of the month and the month for me has been crap. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not really going to get involved there. 75, I have no idea what that number could correlate with. I think we've kind of ran out of those fun ones. But uh, I'm all right with that. I still think Neesmith should be higher, though. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we go into the next guy who's right at 76. We actually have a two-way tie here, so we'll mention both players and talk about them both. We'll do that as a theme here. And then the next one, I think we have one, two, three, four. We have five people tied at the next overall rating of 79. We'll go over. But two guys at 76, Peyton Pritchard and Josh Richardson. Um, you know, I, I feel like, it's a little low for Richardson, but I think that's about right where Peyton Richard should be. I, I just feel like a veteran like Josh Richardson. I understand that he's, he's had some years where like they you're waiting on that bounce back, but I still don't, I still give him credit for some of those good years he had. And I believe he's better than 76. I think he's better than Pritchard, but not by a lot, but I think, I think he's, he's more of a, a complete player than Pritchard is right now, but I think Pritchard can be on his level. So, I mean, overall for me, not a big argument. I'm, I'm, probably picking hairs here by one or two over. Yeah, so I was about to say, you know, maybe bump him up to a 78, 77. Uh, and that feels about fair to me. Um, but Pritchard's another player who I think is going to be closer to 80 a couple months into the season. Um, man, he'll probably be, yeah, only 78, 79. It'll be hard seeing him to eclipse the 80 mark. Um, it feels like, you know, as you said, Patrick, we have five 79s. So it feels like that 80 mark you have to be, apparently, according to 2K, a certain caliber of player. Um, so, you know, I don't really have a qualms with 76s, but, you know, maybe you could bump them up. Bump them up one or two. Yeah, I mean, Pritchard, 76, the amount of feet away from the hoop he can shoot for. There we go. Um, yep, Jason, uh, sorry, Josh Richardson, 76, the amount of bricks he throws up per game. Um, jokes aside, though, I think that Pritchard's ability is 76 is right about where he needs to be until he can add some space creation and some facilitation off the dribble. Uh, Richardson, I think he's been miscast in the last season or two. I think he's probably a bit more, be- a bit better than where he's been ranked by 2K. But I always believe that they rank players low to give them room to grow in terms of their overall rating for the year. You rank them too highly and they become overpowered and everybody says the games are unrealistic. So I understand that. I completely agree that maybe a 77, maybe a 78 would be better for Richardson, but I've got no issues with 76. Fair enough. Uh, Lucas, you want to take us into the the long list of 79s here? Yes, sir. So quite the list. So starting um, with our old trusty man, Al Horford, it goes Horford, Schroeder, Smart, Cantor, and Rob Williams are all 79 overalls. Now, this is a little wild to me, right? Um, Can you find the odd man out in that in that name list? Who's, I mean, the, who's just the one odd man that's in that list? Cantor does not fit there. I mean, Cantor to me is more of a 78, 77, 76 guy. But honestly, I'm taking this more as disrespect to uh, Marcus Smart of all players, man. Uh, Marcus Smart should easily be an 82 or an 83. Um you know, I'm not saying they have to juice up his three-point percentage or anything like that, and maybe they can add a little thing where, you know, he takes one bad heat check per game automatically. Um, but he should be at least an 82 or an 83. It would be 82 because an 82 is the amount of games in the season, and that's one heat check per game right there. 82 heat checks in the season. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, again, I thought... Oh, no. Oh, oh, go ahead. If I'm, if I'm looking at it, I think Cantor's probably a little bit overrated, smart, a little bit underrated. Uh, Rob Williams gets the impact pass, but obviously you can't really rate him higher than where he is until he actually plays for a full season or close to a full season. Who was the other guy that was there that was five, right? We had Schroeder and Horford also. Yeah, I'm fine with both of those guys yeah. as the 79. I can't, I I can't complain there. about them either. I feel like those three guys, but I, I will say, yeah, Cantor a little overrated, Smart a little underrated, but Horford's old age, Schroeder, you know, I think borderline 79, 80, 81, you know, if he improves his play a little bit, and then, uh, no, Cantor, I can't believe it. That, same rate hey, man, that, that leaves us with two guys left to, to release here. We haven't had anybody over the 80 mark until the last two. So apparently the Celtics only have two 80-plus overall players on NBA 2K to start the year, which I think is absurd. But, you know, Marcus Smart will, will prove the haters wrong, the doubters wrong. But coming in at number two on the team at 86 overall, he was a first-time All-Star last year. Got to perform in, in his hometown of Atlanta. Jalen Brown, you know, breakout season last year before he kind of had that knee tendonitis, you know, peak up in the wrist injury. I thought um, in the first quarter of the season, I was like, man, he might win uh, most improved player with how well he's playing. And he had a good season the year prior, but that's how great of a jump he was taking. And then he w- he looked good on defense the first start of the season. And then once the, the, the reports came out about the knee and you, you saw he was missing some games because of it, you could start seeing his lateral quickness like he was more hesitant. He couldn't move as quickly as, as mobile. Wasn't as explosive. But, uh, yeah, man, Jalen Brown right at 86. I, I think that's that can possibly move up with, with Jalen Brown coming this season with being more healthy as long as that knee doesn't start flaring up. Uh, I was giving you a chance, Lucas. 86. The amount of improvements Jalen Brown has made since being drafted by the Boston Celtics. Uh, now, I'm completely fine with 86. I think there's room to go up. I think, you know, he could end the year as an 89 after a few updates. Uh, definitely a borderline. Um, yeah, what would you say? Borderline top 20 guy in a year or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think last season he proved that he's a top 35 guy. And he might be higher, like more in the 30 range than he is the 35 range. I don't think it's like a close 35. I think he's in in that niche of people. And the part where I think is his next jump would be top 25, top 20. So I think that's definitely achievable for him. He's just going to have to hopefully that knee. It's the knee that worried me because it was knee tendonitis. And it's not like, oh, yeah, it's, this is this, you know, stay off of it. It's going to fully heal. And then can come back at any moment, anytime in his career. It can linger the rest of his career. Like the, you know, knee issues like that are always very interesting. So um, just something to kind of monitor and, and understand with his situation. But I think Jalen Brown definitely has some optimism to, to get even better, which is. Yeah, I think he could definitely raise to about an 88 or an 89, um, you know, given. Permit health permitting. Uh, I can't wait to see Jalen back on the floor. It really hurt not having him there for the playoff run. Um, but it's on to our man, the only number 90 rated player on the Celtics, which I assume is probably fair. Our boy Jason Tatum uh, clocks in at a 90. I think he could have clocked in at a 93, maybe even a 94. You know, I'm really high on him. I think he's one of the best 10 to 12 players in the league. So I think they could have boosted him a little bit. Uh, but a 90 is a good. 
Yeah, and I think that for both Brown and Tatum as well, um, playmaking is the number one thing that you're asking them guys to improve on as well as rediscovering their defensive ability. Brown is an on-ball defender, Tatum is an off-ball defender, and then asking them to improve in the opposite. So obviously asking Tatum to improve on-ball, Brown to improve off-ball. If they can show improvements defensively because both of them had a down year last year and start facilitating a bit more of a reliable clip, more so just not, just not having to hit your primary target, right? So I don't watch much American football, but I understand you have multiple guys running multiple routes and your QB hits the open guy on one of those routes. It's similar in, in the NBA. You have a couple of options going on. Um, defenses will always try and shut down the primary offensive option first. So if Tatum's got the ball, they will always try and shut down Brown. And the development there for Tatum is being able to spot that secondary and uh, tertiary route runner and being able to hit them consistently over double teams, over over um, hard hedges or showing bigs. And if he can do that, then there's no reason he can't move up towards uh, a high, sorry, a low to mid-90s and no reason Brown can't make it towards that 90 as well. But that's the improvement I'm looking for for both of those guys in the actual NBA league. And I think that's what would help them rise on 2K2. Yeah, I, I saw I saw the 90 and I looked at Terry and I was like, man, there's a couple reasons why I was like, that's just kind of low. I guess 2K does this thing though where like they kind of want to give the room for improvement. I guess if you put them at 93, that's kind of like the highest you could have convinced people he could have been last year. And like you would ask kind of a lot from him this year to kind of get that up. He kind of would have to be in like MVP type talks past the halfway point of the season instead of past a couple weeks into the season in order to get into the 94, 95 type area. And some things that I, I really looking forward in the growth of Jason Tatum's game is his playmaking. I think he did show some flashes at times, but never consistent or a, like takeover role of it. I just, I, we don't even need him to be on a takeover, like playmaking ability. We just need it to be a threat. Just something that he's able to do in moments, but also that, that goes to the people that were around them last season. Last season, they put a lot of young guys who were very unproven and trying to find their niche. And, and some of them didn't even know how to read the offense yet. And, you know, that, that plays into some of the playmaking being limited. Like maybe Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown also didn't feel as trustworthy to the, the people on the court with them because at times of last season, there really wasn't guys on the court uh, to create for themselves. And they were just kind of all spot up guys. And it's just like, it's kind of hard when you got, Jalen Brown, you know, sitting for his break, and you got Jason Tatum out there, the only guy who can create for himself because Kemba Walker can't play on a back-to-back. You know, it's stuff like that. And I I just want to see if Tatum rises more to the occasion. I do think it could have been a little bit higher. He did have three 50-point games last year. Um, I don't know if they're counting the bubble or the, what is it, the playing one. I don't know where those stats go yet. They haven't. They still haven't decided where the stats go for a playing um, game whether it's playoffs or regular season, they just don't know where they want to put it. But Yeah. And I just think it's funny. Tatum has uh, dropped lower than he finished the season last year. And I saw a clip of Tatum saying that makes absolutely no sense to me. And that makes no sense to me either, because how can he be lower than he was when he finished last year? I think it's at least the 93. And that may be a little homerish, but I think he's that good. You know, I think, like I said, I think he's borderline top 10. Yeah, where do, where do we have but, Tatum uh, right now um, going into the season? Do you, do you guys have him in the top top 12, top 14, top 10? Where's where's he at? Yeah, he's top 12 to top 12 for me, if I'm being safe. 
Um, I have him above a couple of people who maybe some wouldn't assume. I think him and PG are right there, but I'm taking Tatum because I think his offensive creation is just on another level. Um, and I think Tatum is no slouch defensively. People bring that up all the time in the PG Jason Tatum argument. I really think Tatum is a terrific positional defender. Um, and you know, he can, he can impact the game with his length. Um, so I have him right above like PG, maybe a couple other guys, but you know, I haven't really done a, done a comprehensive list, but he's like top 12 to 14, maybe 10. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Yeah, I've got him in that like top 15 range. Uh, I, I like to try and project guys a bit lower than where they probably are just because that gives you a little bit of wiggle room if they have a down year or if they have an improved year, then obviously they get to prove you wrong. And that's, I always prefer it when a player proves me wrong than proves me right. Uh, I think that's always the best way to be. You don't need to be right. You just need to be in the ballpark. Um, so yeah, top 15 would be a fair assessment in my opinion. Yeah, totally. I'm right yeah, there with I'm you. I will just much rather be proved wrong than like be able to be, uh, you know, be proven right. Because if I think if I'm lower on a player, I always, always, always want them to exceed my expectations. Uh, like, you know, I'd just rather see guys succeed, especially if they play for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I want to also see if Tatum gets a little bit more aggressive this year and takes it to the hole. Because man, when some parts last season he got into like this weird attack mode where he just drove to the rim and then his length and his physical abilities just show like it was like i am just longer stronger and better than you and i can finish over here. instead of settling a lot of times i find the first half of the season he did sell a lot with his he loves that sidestep jumper man he just he's in love with that thing but there are some some moments uh, throughout the season where he kind of went in attack mode and when he gets to the rim it becomes very easy for him and it, it he knocked down some free throws. He shoots free throws at a very high percentage. So I'm wondering if that's something, because he's mentioned it in the offseason, the reason he's bulked up so much is that he's heard that noise. He's heard people say that they want to see him go to the rim a lot more. And even though that the jumper's his favorite type of shot, he's willing to compromise. And he's willing to try to, to see oh, what he can some, do that. We have some breaking news, actually, at the end of the show here about the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics <laughs> just signed Ryan Ardiciacono to a training camp deal. Uh, so I guess we can uh, react live to this. I mean, I'm not even sure he'll make the roster, but I do think it's good to get some more competition in for those young guys, uh, a la Romeo. Um, even Pritchard, obviously, you know, I think Pritchard's a better player than Ardiciacono. Sorry to cut you off also, Patrick, but I just saw the Woj notification. I, I saw it and too. I figured we should discuss. So, Adam, any serious concrete thoughts on Ryan Ardiciacono? <laughs> I just don't see how he can... Even if he manages to earn a rotation, a roster spot, which I think is highly unlikely, I don't see how he'd ever get any minutes. It just seems like, and the roster's pretty much full anyway. So uh, it is what it is. It's a nice look at a guy who gives him a chance to get some work out in before he hits free agency again after the um, training campaigns. I'm not taking any seriousness. In this. No, definitely not. I just think it's just good for some competition. Sure. Um, yeah, that kind of just distracted me, though. Um, like no, I say, Adam, I mean, that, that pretty much really sums it up. Though, yeah. yeah, really appreciate you coming on, Adam. I know you've had some busy, a lot, lot going on, man. So we really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day um, to come to our pod with us. It's always a pleasure talking hoops with you, man. Always. Yeah, man.
Oh man, pleasure's yeah. all mine, man. Thank you. I honestly mean that. Thank you very much for having me. No, sure. man, we we really appreciate yeah. it. And you're uh, you're a special guest on our show, man. Don't let anybody else tell you you're not special guest. All right? Yeah, of course. And we know we know we know <laughs> those naysayers out there. We know. Um, but also, Adam, go ahead and plug yourself, man. Let people know where they can find you again, just in case that they didn't get it the first time. Go ahead and plug your Twitter in, wherever you wherever they can find you next. What you got going on and and working in in the back. Of course, man. Thank you. Um, you can find me over at celticsblog.com. I, I'm producing articles there, producing written content. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Adam Taylor MBA. Uh, I've got a little project I'm considering starting on Patreon, uh, where it'll be film breakdowns. Uh, after every game, I'll probably do some form of like uh, rotation breakdowns and stuff as well. Haven't fully decided if I'm going to go ahead with that yet, but um, it's looking more and more likely that I will. And then I produce content for some other websites. But if you follow me on one of the social media platforms, you'll find out. Um, you'll see me promoting that as and when I produce something there. Yeah. And make sure you follow Adam, man, because, you know, I love I really love Adam's work because he stays really objective. And, you know, a lot of the times that's hard, um, you know, especially with a, a fan base as passionate as the Celtics. So, you know, maybe sometimes when I get a little too high, a little too low, I can read or watch Adam and, you know, he brings me back down to back down to earth. So, uh no. Yeah, I catch heat for that fucking objectiveness. No. Though. I don't think that doesn't. Go <laughs> you know, well, you know, know, Celtics, Celtics Twitter is a is a pretty cruel world if you if you're on the opposite side of what people want to hear. So yes, <laughs> yeah, I find myself on the opposite side more often than not. So I've I've experienced every single area of Celtics Twitter. Man. Yeah, it's it's tough to avoid them. Honestly, I've had a couple run-ins, but nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, seriously, uh, that ob- objectivity. Some people might not like it, but it's honestly necessary. So we love that. Uh, you can follow me at Luca underscore Gainer. That's L-U-C-A underscore G-A-Y-N-O-R. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Hoopball Celtics. Patrick, I'm not even going to try and spell yours, even though it's pretty straightforward. Patrick? Yeah, man, you can follow me at Ballin Opinions. That's B-A-L-L-I-N-O-P-I-N-I-O-N-S. Um, you can also, you know, follow the show. Like Lucas said, go ahead and give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you write a review. Um, we will be pushing out content all throughout the year for our hoop ball. Um, yeah, man, uh, thank you, Adam, again for coming on to the show. Make sure you guys give him a follow. Hopefully we can do some more work down the road and uh, do some in-season type podcasts where we kind of, um, pick apart at, at some of the games together and stuff like that. But um, it's been an honor, Adam. Um, that's all we have left here for for um, hoop ball. Do you have anything else you guys want to say before we head out? I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm good, man. Just thank you again. Yeah, man. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. See you. Guys. All right. Peace out.